0: Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of the Leap Takers podcast, the podcast for the curious, where I'm interviewing daring entrepreneurs, investors and shapers in fascinating areas that affect the lives of our generations and the ones beyond. So this can include thematic areas, consumer technology, traveling, gaming or crypto, as in the case of today's guest. So who am I talking about? His name is Stefano Bernardi. He is an active angel investor on AngelList and with his own angel investment firm called Mission & Market. I'm very excited to have him on this show because I've been following him on Twitter for quite a while. I really appreciate his interesting views and he also has quite an interesting story, which we will dive into in this episode. To finish the short bio, he founded a Silicon Valley startup called KickPay. And more recently, he's also part of Atomico's angel program. Atomico is a big and quite prestigious venture capital investor in Europe. And as he, in his role as a scout, he focuses exclusively on investing in Planet Plus companies. So these are teams that are trying to save the planet from the imminent climate crisis. Um, Furthermore, he is very strongly involved in the whole crypto community as the executive director of the Aragon project, as well as the author of the popular token economy newsletter. As always, I would like to kick off this episode with a short quote. So this time it's a quote from Sam Altman. He is the chairman of Y Combinator, which we will also talk about in this episode so here comes the quote which is more actually a few sentences of life advice that i really enjoy you get truly rich by owning things that increase rapidly in value time only scales linearly hence you need to own equity in something instead of just selling your time the best way to make things that increase rapidly in value is by making things people want at scale One more thing before we get started. You might notice some bird sounds in the background and some children playing. This is because Stefano was recording this uh, in a park. So I hope it's not too distracting, but it should be fine. So having said that, let's get started with today's episode. I hope you will enjoy it. Hi, Stefano. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy that you could make this work and I really appreciate you coming on the show since I know that you have quite a lot of stuff on your plate as well with, with all your involvement um, that we will get to as well in this podcast.
1: Happy to do it. Thanks. Thanks a lot for
0: having me. Very cool. Um, so maybe to get started, could you just give people that are not that familiar with you a really quick intro, what you're working on right now? Or kind of how would you introduce yourself if you if you meet someone at the cocktail party or something?
1: Oh, I would probably lie, I would say, you know, I'm an artist or something. Uh, Just because it's uh, it's pretty complicated to explain the the current situation, but um, I'm doing a few things right now. I'm spending most of my time with Aragon, which is a a crypto project that aims to build um, the infrastructure for decentralized autonomous organizations to happen and to transact between themselves. Um, At the same time, I do a fair bit of investing. In both with angel deals and through Atomico's angel program, as well as helping a family office invest in uh, venture funds. And um, I'm also involved with with another venture fund that we started here that invests in centralized projects and that should be announced fairly soon as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot we can dig into later. And um, I think what I was really interested in as a first talking point would be i read that you moved to san francisco i think around 2011 if if that's correct Uh, i'm really interested because this is called the leap takers podcast how um, like you made this kind of probably a big decision to move from italy to san francisco and get involved with the startup scene there so i would love to if you kind of walk me how you made this decision and how this all played out
1: yeah so i mean it was a fairly easy decision so i was working in milan in a small, very small venture capital firm, uh, which I joined right after college, even though I did computer engineering. And, you know, I was, you know, doing the traditional associate jobs of looking at deals and doing diligence and stuff like that. But the speed of the Italian ecosystem was just particularly slow. And so it got a bit um, a bit boring after a while, um, that being one year and a half. And then we also didn't like too much staying in a city anymore. You know, we were biking to work, but felt all the pollution and it just, you know, it just felt like it was the right time to take a leap. Um, And so we we just decided we were going to move to SF and look for work there and, you know, join a startup to, to see how it also was done on the other side. So... You know, I felt a bit of a fraud investing without having ever been inside of a startup and, and knowing actually what was going on. And so it, I thought, obviously, SF is the best place in the world to go do that. So let's just move there. and We moved there for three months looking for, for jobs. And, you know, if it didn't work out, then we would have had three months vacation and, and could come back home and, and find other jobs home or, you know, anywhere else in Europe. Uh, fortunately, it worked out. And so, um, yeah, it turns out it was a good decision after all.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, saying we, did you oh, go there with like yeah. your friend or your partner or? Yeah, yeah, I went there with my now wife. Oh, okay. So it was it really like you you did not have a position lined up when you when you moved there? So it was really like you went there and. Kind oh of yeah,
1: sold. yeah, yeah, and plus didn't know that many people. There were a few Italian people there that that we knew, and um, actually one uh, rented us his house for the time being there. Uh, which was about to be teared down to to be renovated, so it was it was a pretty old thing, but it was it was awesome in in woodside, you know one of those like crazy um, now it 's a gigantic mansion um, but it, it wasn 't like that uh but anyways, you know deers in the garden and stuff so it was it was really beautiful and uh yeah but we didn't we didn't know anyone um thankfully, one thing that I did at the time was i, I applied for dave Mickler's shadowing uh, position, so he he, I think he just invested in this company that did internships or something and uh, as a way to boost, you know, like help them with growth marketing and stuff, they they created this uh, internship to shadow Dave McClure and it turns out that I that I won that. But I didn't know before I left, I knew when I, when I was there and so I, I also did that for a couple of weeks when I was there.
0: And now looking back, do you have any advice for people who want to do a similar move like also move to SF to jump into the startup world? like any resources or any ways you best approach these startups or where you meet the people that could help you get a position
1: um i think that now it's a bit different meaning that when i moved there there were still h1b visas available and right now i think that you know obviously the quota is taken up every single year so it, it might be a more a bit more different and a bit harder to just, you know, plain move there because I've had many, many friends that moved in the years after I did that even though they moved there, found a job, then, you know, their visa just didn't make the cut um, in the lottery. So that's certainly something to keep in mind that, you know, it might very well be that it's it's a not successful thing. So, um, But otherwise, you know, what I did is I had a, a very clear idea in mind of the type of startup that I wanted to join, which was, you know, sub 10 people Fintech slash APIs, uh, which were the things that I was interested in and, and I knew a bit about um, but that being said, you know I also did interviews and, and tried with, with many other companies that were in in different uh, sectors, different stages, just you know to make sure that I uh, covered all options but you know the the community there is very welcoming, uh, or at least it was you know that we're talking about uh, eight years ago and um and it it takes very little time to get to know a lot of people, so you know going to meetups, going to events and um and things like that for me, it turns out it it came from an introduction from an entrepreneur that pitched us at the at the venture firm uh the job that I ended up getting but um otherwise you know right now there's just such a boom where it, it shouldn't be too hard,
0: okay. I also read a really interesting um Part that I think you met the the Collison brothers of that later founded Stripe. There is that correct?
1: Oh yeah. So I, I kept on hearing you know from from a few people about this uh, Stripe company, and so you know I called Outreach and I said you know I heard about you guys and I'm looking for a job in, in this, this this specific sector, um, and they they did not have the I tried to get hired as a developer evangelist there, and they were like six or seven people at the time, maybe eight. And, uh, and they did not have that position open. They were not hiring. But I tried to convince them. And I, I also went and did a, a full-day uh, test with Stripe. And um, there were, you know, obviously 2,000 brothers and, and Billy and Greg and um, um, the designer from Sweden, who is, I forgot his name, but like an insanely talented group of people all in the same room, this old uh, Mexican-looking Palo Alto um, uh, House. Uh, it was pretty epic, and um, but yeah, they you know they ended up not hiring developer evangelists for a long, long time, saying rightly so probably that they wanted just engineers to talk to their customers and, and not have you know another layer in there, and so it, it didn't work out. But it was a, it was still a cool experience.
0: Could you already tell back then? I mean, you said an insanely talented group. Oh,
1: it was absolutely obvious that it would have been ginormous. If I had any money, I would have left a, a, a luggage of cash in there
0: easily. Wow, okay, yeah, because now I think current valuation like twenty two billion or something yeah, like that, yeah. so yeah
1: it, it was so I <laughs> like if all startups were so obvious and you know venture investors, it would be a different type of job.
0: yeah, very interesting, and so I think after yeah you joined uh, several or uh, startups in the Bay Area. Do you have any takeaways there regarding your experience uh for working for them like how how was that regarding like uh the the tasks you did the learning experiences you got um the hours all of these things just uh sound really interesting to me
1: Yeah I mean I only worked for one and then I founded my own but yeah I don't know I I'm not a great employee right so I've always uh, you know, I was doing investing on the side. I was like researching other things, and um, it the the cool thing was that I was able to have a a role which touched both engineering, product, uh, biz dev, um, and and a bit of everything. So I was in contact with you know the users of the platforms, and uh, as well internally and um, and the developers internally. And so, you know, that afforded me uh, a lot of variability and a lot of visibility as well. So that kept me really interested. But I think it, it really depends on, you know, the personality of the person. You know, like, I saw people in sales that, you know, they picked up the phone and smiles popped out of their faces. And for me, you know, I couldn't even think about spending time doing that. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, developers enjoy um, enjoy what they do, and even though I enjoy that, I'm not sure I would enjoy it uh, every day of my life. Right? So, I think it, on that sense, the takeaways will be very different just depending on the person. In terms of hours, uh, it's, uh, it's very varied. Um, what I can say is that I think hours are a very good predictor of the success of a startup. And so, you know, even though now I'm uh an advocate of you know like not killing yourself for work unfortunately i think that the reality is that if you want to build anything that is ginormous and you know the number one company in your space then uh, it was it was very clear that you know the companies that have people there on saturday and sundays and after dinner and stuff were we're going to be the ones that we're going to uh do better than the others but otherwise in in most companies you know like at five there's
0: yeah i mean i i fully agree with that i think you need to have that Conviction that you're really going to build something amazing and uh, have the passion to really work on it uh, like a lot Yeah, then you said you found it afterwards your own company was that um, Mission and market, the, the angel investor. No,
1: so I found it. I, I found it both at the same time so I um mission market was my um, Angel fund that I created with, with two of my friends uh, there in SF um, We raised three million dollars from people in Italy and Europe to give them access to deals in San Francisco. And the reason was that you know, we were seeing a lot of cool deals and really wanted to invest, but we had absolutely no money at the time. And so we, we decided that that could be a, a cool way. And it um, turned out it, it did, and it was a great decision. But the, no, the company I founded was called Kickpay. It was a receivables financing company. Um, so peer-to-peer invoice financing. And uh, with that one, we did YC, then, you know, raised the seed round
0: and uh, did all the usual
1: um, kind of
0: Bay Area uh, path. You you mentioned there that you, for one, raised the fund from, from investors in Europe to give access to, to these deals. And then also you went out to raise money for your own company. I'm very interested in the whole fundraising process. So... How did you approach this? Like, Did you just do a cold outreach to investors and said, this is what I'm doing? Or how did this play out?
1: Well, so for the company, we did a very small round. I think we raised like 200K or something like that. Very small round with a you know, few investors that we already knew. So that was, uh, I mean, everyone says that, which I I understand is not particularly helpful to people that don't know any investors, but uh, the reality is that that is often how it works, right? So it's either mentors that you have or people that you worked with before, or, you know, I was very interested in in investing. So I had built a bit of a a network of angels and, and other people of that kind. So that was easy. And then after that, we got into YC. And then, you know, the, the seed round happened extremely fast after YC just because of the push that you get from from that program.
0: Can you just maybe elaborate on YC for people who or listeners that don't know? Oh, YC, YC.
1: Is, is Y Combinator, which is, you know, the original accelerator that um, started in, in Boston with uh, Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston and then uh, moved to the Bay Area and now is... Uh, <laughs> A giant accelerator that churns out 150 or so companies every six months. Um, we were one of the first giant batches of 100 companies, um, and and yeah, you have a demo day at the end where uh, there's essentially all the investors in the valley that come to hear you, and they can, you know, like you on the page, and um, and then after that, it's you know. It's, Assuming your company has you know the right ingredients, which no one really knows what they are, um, and they're not particularly correlated with future success, then it's fairly easy to raise. But you know there, there's companies that did see like Airbnb that did really have a great time raising. Them.
0: Okay, and so yeah, you mentioned this was a kind of a big boost then to raise and. Now, since you mentioned YC, and obviously this is a, a big stamp of uh, quality and approval already, if you get in, if you're still familiar with it, how does the application process look like? And do you have any advice you could give there to people?
1: Yeah, the application process is extremely simple. It's just a form uh, with a bunch of questions. And I think it is extremely valuable because it has a. I don't know, the questions are phrased in a way that, that really makes you think about what, what you're building and why and, um, and how it works. And, um, and so usually it's extremely helpful to do the application, even if you're not going to submit it, um, or, you, or you can submit it, whatever. But it, just the act of doing that is extremely uh, helpful. And then after that, you submit it, and then you can either be called for an interview or just straight up reject it. And um, one time I had applied previously and I, and I had gotten an interview, but then we were rejected at the interview. We were just destroyed at the interview level. Um, and so this time around, you know, we, we knew what to expect um, and, and we we're much, much more prepared. So we, um, even though at the end we didn't really think that it went that great, uh, but then they called us and they said that they, they wanted to, to have us in the batch, which was really cool. But otherwise, you know, the the number one advice would be, if you do get an interview, then definitely practice a lot with uh, alumni and many, many alumni, every alumni is very happy to help with um, interview prep and mock interviews. And that's uh, that's just a gigantic help.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you think it's also next to the practice, is it also certain elements that you put into your pitch or into your interview that really kind of uh, helped you get approved?
1: I mean, it, it's just a general thing of being really concise and driving the points that you want to drive. And so not you know writing a lot of things and then not saying anything at, at the very end. Um, that plus, you know really knowing your customers, your market and your product and, and why people would want to use it and, and you know, how they're solving the current problem right now. But you know, having having an answer to everything, or you know, if you don't have an answer, admitting that. But I mean, you probably should still have an answer, to um, something like that, unless you know it's something that you can say, okay, we know this is a problem, and you know, we're trying to solve it X, Y, and Z, and we don't know, we don't know what is going to be the the right way. But um, yeah, I think you know, it's 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 very simple if if you know your stuff, um, and what you're building makes sense, meaning that there's people out there that will want it, uh, and you're the right team for that, then uh, it's really straightforward.
0: So let me jump a bit ahead now. And I think you then decided to leave SF and return to Europe. So kind of what were the reasons to go back and what happened next?
1: So there, there were multiple reasons, uh, for going back. I had lost my dad just, uh, you know, a few weeks before YC started. Um, so that, you know, kind of accumulated a bit. And, um, we also had a kid at the time and, and the fund and the startup and my, my wife had a startup. So I think, you know, we were just getting a bit burned out. And, um, and then, you know, we were not sure that we wanted to, to raise our kids in the U.S. We certainly could not afford to have any other kids there. Um, And we could not afford any houses or anything like that. Um, So it it was really a mix of uh, of factors and decisions. And um, also, you know, just the general overarching decision of not having work or success in work as the number one thing that you optimize for in life. And so, yeah, we decided to move uh, back to Europe and chose a little spot in the Italian Dolomites as the home base. And we've been here uh, for uh, for three months now. Yeah, three months, three years. Been here for three years. Uh, we're now going to Australia for a bit, uh, for at least six or seven months, and then we'll see.
0: Okay, I think this would be a good time to say a little bit about Aragon and the whole crypto topic. So I don't want to dive too deep into it because I know it's a, it's a very complex topic. But is there a way you could tell people a little bit what Aragon is doing and kind of why it matters?
1: Yes, of course. So there there is a few reasons why Aragon was started, and a few reasons why I joined. But um, essentially, what Aragon is trying to do is to give that power to the people in order to be able to collaborate. Uh, with each other and transact in a completely trustless and censorship resistant way. So right now, you know, any way that you have to collaborate with other people, usually is just, you know, you create a company offline, you have to pay a lot of fees, a lot of taxes, lots of bureaucracy. Um, and, um, and then it's a fully trustful environment, meaning that you have to trust, you know, the, the board, you have to trust the, the managers, the employees, whoever controls the bank accounts and, and things like that, um, and uh, and also you know that infrastructure is not available everywhere, and it's not available to everyone. You know, banks will not open bank accounts if your company does something that they don't like, and there's a lot of things that they don't like, um, even if they are fully legal and fully legit. And so, uh, Aragon is a way to create uh, DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, which are you know, organizations that are built completely online, completely on, uh, right now on Ethereum, so on a, on a blockchain infrastructure, and no one can really stop them. You know, once you've created a DAO and you have capital in there, then, you know, that is not censorable by anyone. So you can use it for uh, whatever you prefer. And um, yeah, that's probably, you know, the easy to understand bit, I guess.
0: Yeah, that that was definitely helpful. And uh, Aragon, so it's, I think the association is based in Zug, Switzerland, right? Uh, right. But I think the people working for it are also, it's like distributed and there's different teams working on it. Is is that correct? Yeah.
1: So it's a fully distributed and fully decentralized development scheme where the founders um, had, you know, raised some money in an Estonian entity and then they decided to move to Switzerland. And in the process, they also decided to decentralize the governance and the development of the project. So they created a new for-profit company for themselves. And then they created the association, which has all the, the treasury. Um, and so I am at the association level where we manage the treasury and we give grants to companies that are working on the Aragon Network. And so obviously one the biggest company is the one that the founders created and, you know, there's 17 people in there working full time. And so we give them, I mean, we don't decide anything essentially because the, 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 the token holders, um, Aragon has a token called ANT Aragon network token and the token holders have quarterly votes where they can allocate capital to projects that request it. And so Aragon one, which is the company the founders created asked for $4 million at the beginning of the year. And the Aragon token holders approved it, so we give them the four million dollars. But we're not, you know, in charge of making these decisions. We just execute them. Um, the only decisions that we make at the association level are around, you know, the treasury management and uh, having a plan to make sure that we're we're still going to have some capital in the in the coming years. And then uh, there's two other teams that applied. One is Autark. The other one is Aragon Black that got approved by token holders. And and so these teams, they now are working full-time on Aragon as well. And one is 10 people and the other one is eight people. So um, in that way, you know, the the founders have essentially removed the possibility that them leaving would destroy the project because uh, if they left today, everything would still work. Um, We would still have capital. We would still have other teams working on it. And um, and we're just at the beginning. So as we add more teams, then the project becomes even more resilient.
0: Yeah, I think it's very valuable what you're building, uh, or what these different teams are building with with Aragon. And, and I guess it could also be interesting for uh, listeners of the podcast if they're building a, you know, a company that is maybe more decentralized in nature, or like that works with remote teams from all over. That this could be an interesting option to look at in the future to handle the governance of the project.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that right now, you know, the perfect use case is for online-only companies, and so not many companies that need to interact with the offline world. And for these, you know, this is, is still perfect. There's still, you know, something to work on in terms of enabling fiat payments for these companies, for example, but all things that we're working with.
0: Great. Yeah. So I'll definitely also link to to Aragon and uh, some of the things you said earlier, uh, like YC, et cetera, in the show notes, um, just for the listeners. And yeah, I think now it would be a good place to quickly switch gears to some of my uh, more uh, personal questions that I like to end uh, the interviews with. So I think first one would be, what are your, some of your favorite knowledge resources or books that you, that you would recommend to people? It can be in any area. It's just something that you find valuable.
1: I, I find Twitter very valuable. Uh, it is usually my number one kind of information gathering space, uh, especially for, uh, for stuff around crypto. It's just, you know, the conversations move so fast that whatever you're going to read in a book form or any other form is going to be outdated so that, you know, real-time information is really the only one that's, that's worth looking at. Uh, specific, specifically for that for that space, um, and then I I do listen to a lot of podcasts as well, and you know I I don't think that I want to kind of recommend any because I tend to switch to whatever I am interested in at the moment. So I do listen to a few general ones like you know Tim Ferriss and um, things like that, where you know maybe you can discover some some things that you don't really know that you were interested in. But otherwise, for example, with books, uh, I might be reading like 10 books at the same time and I'll just choose on, on whatever I have more top of mind um, during that time. So right now, I'm, I'm reading a lot about psychedelics, for example. Uh, so I'm reading How to Change Your Mind and uh, listening to a few podcasts around there. But I'm also listening... to from Michael
0: Pollan, right? That's right, yeah.
1: Um, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, but I'm also listening to a lot of things around water and water conservation, and restoration, so uh, yeah, the, the book I'm I'm listening to right now is uh, Elizir, and uh, so yeah, it, it'll just vary quite a lot for
0: me. And are there any specific people that you would recommend people to follow on Twitter, um, like kind of the ones you always read tweets of?
1: Um, again, very very different depending on what you're what you're looking for. So I I wouldn't say I have you know I'm... maybe let's say crypto or investing again crypto so the thing is that with twitter now i don't even know who it is that i follow anymore because they they show you stuff you know this guy retweeted this this guy liked this this guy follows this other guy um so there's um there's just so many and the reality is that you know you, you don't want to follow someone just because you expect them consistently having a great uh great content i i find that you know it's better to, to follow a wide variety of people and then you'll, you'll see pop-up stuff, interesting stuff more often. So um, unfortunately, no, I don't have any single must, must follow.
0: <laughs> That's all right. Um, good. Then next question, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? So it could be an investment in money, with money or time, energy, etc.?
1: There's, there's quite a few. It would be very hard to choose just one. Um, obviously, you know, making the move to SF has been a great energy and also money investment and time. Um, as well as raising my first fund to, uh, you know, just show me how, it, you know, investing really worked on, on the other side of the, of the ocean. Raising a kid, uh, I would probably also fit in there and, uh, as would participate in the Ethereum ICO. So, yeah, I mean, all of them in there depending on the mix between money, time and
0: energy yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that of um if you have any advice to your younger self, I mean, it goes a bit into the same direction, but do you have any advice like let's say yourself five or ten years ago?
1: I don't think so
0: um
1: I wouldn't change much of what I did really um I just really take things as they come and uh you know, I don't have any long-term plans, right? So oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, you need to have a plan, you need to visualize it in your head, you need to go after that. But for me, it's like, you know, we have one life, it's, it's also short, so I don't, uh, I don't obsess over having, you know, success or like achieving goals or anything like that. So I would keep it that way, you know, just like do whatever it feels right in the moment and, you know, like stuff will sort out itself
0: very good words so maybe my second last question would be do you have any um unusual hobby or routine that you know helps you also to kind of get away from when you work for, for uh, aragon and all your investment uh, commitments as well I wish uh I should actually, but um I
1: don't what I enjoy is just reading the <laughs> i I enjoy reading the local newspaper here um when I go you know the morning have breakfast it it's just you know kind of grounds you a bit to you know what other people really you know have top of mind because we're we're thinking about you know like game changing things and disrupting this and disrupting that, and then uh the reality of the day to day lives of many people are are rooted on, on much different problems like, oh, they're, you know, building this road or they're, you know, redoing this uh, building or or stuff like that, right? Or you can't, you know, we have wolves in this area and like, they're not going to let us kill the walls or something like that, right? So I find that, um, you know, it, it, it takes my, uh, it grounds me a bit, but um, otherwise, obviously, you know, just meditation. And stuff like
0: that. Okay. And my last question, which I ask every guest due to the name of the podcast is, What does courage mean to you?
1: So courage, I think, you know, is there's a little definition, which is being scared, but still doing something anyways, uh, which I think works fine for uh, as a definition, but it's very general. And but for me, I would say that courage is really, you know, not subscribing uh, to the status quo and uh, accepting that something is the way that that it is um, and that it has to be that way. Um, or that you have to be that way, right? So I find that the most courageous people are the ones that just, you know, think with their own heads and, and do whatever they think is uh, is best. And even if, you know, everyone else says that, you know, that's wrong or they're crazy. So,
0: yeah. Very interesting. And very good to hear your thoughts on, on all the topics you covered. So thank you very much for coming uh, on the podcast, Stefano. Um, I think, it was very valuable for me and hopefully also for the listeners. So if people want to follow you, what you're up to, like on Twitter, for example, where can they find you?
1: Twitter, Stefano Bernardi, first and last name. I should probably get something shorter, but uh, that's about it for now.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Good. Um, yeah, I said, I will list everything as well in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show, Stefano. Thanks a lot for having me. It was fun. Hey everyone, here is Remo again. One more thing before you head off. If you enjoyed this episode, please take five seconds and give the Leap Takers podcast on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes or on Stitcher five stars. This would really mean a lot to me and also helps me to get exciting future guests to come on the show. So I appreciate it a lot. Thank you very much hopefully you got some good takeaways from today's episode with stefano i was really excited for him to come on he's quite a big name in the crypto world i forgot to mention he actually has a very popular newsletter called the token economy so if you're somewhat interested in crypto and finding out about cool projects etc you can check out that newsletter last but not least you know i'm very happy to hear your thoughts your feedback about the show what i can improve ideas for future guests so just to shoot me a message, you should be able to find my contact info on my website, leaptakers.com, as well as you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. You should find me if you type in Remo Keyboards. So have a good time. Until next time, bye-bye.